0: Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in Central Italy and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen.
1: Hello Andrea. Hello Alison.
0: How are you doing? I just realized that my microphone was over on the side and I had to move
1: it over. (laughs) I am awesome. I'm doing well and how are you? We can hear you. (laughs) Good yeah I'm good and I'm excited as always to talk to you but even more excited than normal (laughs) if that's possible today because of our subject matter. We are going to be talking about the huge beautiful book that I have in front uh, of me yes. uh, called Nourishing Traditions which um, I looked at the inside and noticed it was published in 1999 and thought my gosh wow. I was a lot younger then um, and it stood the test ago. of time it really has yep. yeah well
0: I woke up this morning so and I thought mm-hmm. well yeah, yeah so for um, people listening to the podcast um, Alison and I have switched our recording time uh, at least for summer and she's recording in the afternoon I'm in the morning. So, yeah. I woke up this morning, <laughs> the first thing I thought was, it's the Nourishing Traditions Day. <laughs> Yay! I'm so excited. How exciting. So, have you had breakfast or not yet? <clears throat> well, yes and no, I ate part of it, <laughs> it's, it's not done, mm. but uh, I just had to get some calories in me before we started so my brain yeah, could work. Yeah. Um, and I, I just made a couple fried eggs and I put mm-hmm. on um, some jalapenos that I pickled last summer and a sauerkraut that we made last summer and sour cream mm-hmm. and then um, mm, I peeled a blood orange which uh, those are in season basically in the spring so yeah. I want to <laughs> we've been eating them pretty much every week so
1: enjoying that. We've got those here as well. Uh, I bet you have lots the boys that eat them a lot and they absolutely love Well, them. these we they
0: don't grow out here most of the citrus either comes from south america or florida in in the u.s oh, as far as okay. i know yeah which is not to say there's not little pockets yeah. here and there elsewhere but that's where a lot of it comes from i just don't think we could sustain the warmth that a citrus
1: plant would need out here so you're going to have some extra breakfast after we finished recording yeah
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh and i made breakfast number two
0: i should <laughs> hobbit breakfast um i should also say that i made um coffee this morning and i put in mm. creamer which every time i make this for anybody who comes over they they um They have to have more and then um, I made some for Katie who's you know milking the cow and she Mm. said oh man that was so good you have to make some more of that so I actually what I do is I bring her a mason jar with all the ingredients for the creamer except the cream in it so that she can just put fresh cream in it that day but it's just so you're going to tell us what's in there (laughs) yeah it's um just cream and maple syrup and vanilla which is so simple oh, and nice and I'll use any weird combo I've you know I'll use like some cream some milk or just whatever I have right now I have tons and tons of jersey cream so that's what I'm using um mm. but it's so stupid simple and it's absolutely delicious
1: of course because mm-hmm. that's maple me able to start my <laughs> hubby started putting ginger in his started putting ginger in his coffee I got a book about um it's called bb's kitchen and it's some different countries in Africa. And I read about the coffee that they make there with ginger mm. and so Rob started putting ginger in his coffee and he quite likes it. You know
0: there's um, there's there's a lot of countries in Africa that I've noticed really have a lot of really really spicy hot things in their foods. Um, and I suppose it's because, mm. you know, the warmer it is, the, the the better you can grow those spicy things. Um, yeah. But spicy ginger tea and things like that, I, I really mm. associate in my mind with African cuisine. Um, I know it's so diverse and broad, you know, an
1: entire continent with tons of countries. Mm. But in my mind, that's just where I always go. And maybe I'll be able to share some more about that book as I dig into it a bit more yeah, because so I had lunch before we and recorded. what did you have? And yeah, I had some bread, mm. um, some sourdough spelt bread, which is the mm. recipe that's on my site. That's a go-to here, spread with lard, mm. which we rendered ourselves, which is just gorgeous. And I had goat with it because we got half <gasps> a goat that's right, last week. Right, your goat. And yeah, we um, we've eaten all the innards and so now we're on to the actual muscle meat and I got the ribs out at the weekend and cooked them in the oven with kind of salt and pepper and olive oil and marjoram as a rub and then we've been eating those since the weekend kind Mm. of all the leftovers so I had a great big bone which I just sat and gnawed (laughs) off there was loads of meat hidden in all the, the kind of corners and crevices. Isn't
0: that satisfying? And I had... a satisfying feeling, oh, though, yes. chewing on a bone, like...
1: Very, very. And also the different textures and kind of, you know, you get some of the meat that's mm. close to the bone, so it's gone a bit harder and more crispy, mm-hmm. and then some of it that's softer. And it, it was, yeah, it was really delicious. Drinking a smoothie can't And I deep. had <laughs> some um, salad with local leaves and carrots oh. with lemon juice and olive oil and some olives. And I sat outside in the sun and ate it. All of it sounds perfect. It's delicious.
0: And how warm is it there where you are right
1: now? Yes. Yeah, it's getting very, very warm. We're getting to the point, just there's this point before um, summer really hits where it's kind of comfortable mm. and then it shifts into the, oh my gosh, you can't go outside. It is ridiculously <laughs> hot unless you you know go in deep shade. So at the moment, it's mm-hmm. glorious outside. It's It's lovely and warm. If you sit in the shade you get that warmth without being burned, right. or without, you know, having that oh, intense man. sun on you. And it's just the, the mornings are <sighs> warming up in the house. Italian houses are, tend to be quite dark and thick walled, so they stay cool. Okay. Um, but when I'm coming up in the morning, I notice that it's kind of not as cold and I'm not having to put my slippers on. Mm. Um, all the floors in Italy are um, terracotta or tiled, so they were right. usually very cold. But the temperature's changing, and my slippers aren't on all the time. <laughs>
0: oh man! And does it get humid there?
1: Not particularly. Okay. No. Often it's it's too much the other way. Oh, dry. Too dry. Especially in, you know when it gets to July and August, it will be very dry. Do you? So no, we don't we don't suffer with the humidity too does,
0: much. Does the region ever suffer like like? Do are droughts and agriculture kind of a problem there?
1: Not that I've heard of in Tuscany, mm-hmm. but. They could be happening and under my radar. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, it's a good question. I should go find that yeah. out. Hmm. After after we've talked about <laughs> nourishing traditions. Well, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about this. I'm so excited about this. So, um, one thing I want to say before we start is that we keep forgetting. Oh. and We don't keep forgetting, <laughs> but we keep meaning to talk about the Patreon. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm so excited about this. We've set up our, a Patreon account, which, if you don't know, is a kind of a way that you can um, say thank you and subscribe monthly to creators. And we've done this for the podcast. And so, if you like what we're doing and you would like to support our work, help us pay for all of the equipment that we use, and um, also in kind of to say thank you we are going to be dropping things into the patreon feed as they call it which will come into your inbox which is going to include a monthly exclusive podcast where we sit at a table and chat and you can send your questions in and also we're hoping some extra things and the reason i mention it now is because one of the first the first extras that we have planned is linked to nourishing traditions in that We decided, because we love this book so much, that we couldn't share everything in one episode Mm -mm. um, and that we wanted to um, go further in depth into two of our favourite recipes and talk about them and show them and make them and share them with you. So the Patreon subscribers will get uh, a Zoom call, which is going to happen next Friday, the 30th of July. The timings are seven o'clock in the morning um, Pacific Summer Time, which is three o'clock in the afternoon UK time and four o'clock in the afternoon Rome time so hopefully from that wherever you are you can work out how it will be for you and if you're a patron you'll get that um, for free just in your feed and you can come on live and talk to us and watch us and ask us questions or you can watch it or listen to it later on. So I wanted to put that in before we start so I don't forget because I know once I dive into this (laughs) book I'm gonna get (laughs) very excited. So Andrea do you want to start by explaining what Nourishing Traditions is? Perhaps some people who are listening don't have the cookbook or have only just got the cookbook and don't know much about it.
0: Sure and I will say read the live zoom. I am so excited for that. I'm just so 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 excited. Um, It's like my dream come true. So um, it's going to be very,
1: very cool. I I know.
0: I can't wait. I can't wait. It's gonna be really fun to cook on zoom. I don't know. I just wanted to do something like that for so long and to to just demonstrate Mm. some of our favorite recipes and and get to see the Patreon faces. So okay. So nourishing traditions is a big thick (laughs) <laughs> paperback book um its subtitle is the cookbook that challenges politically correct nutrition and the diet dictocrats so i will just warn you right now yeah. nothing about the book is subtle or apologetic and if you're oh yeah throw it outside one of the kids just found a carpenter hand um if you are Ooh. if you have you know firm views about food and you're offended by the views being challenged, it's probably not the book to read because you'll just, um, she doesn't apologize for the the historical data that she presents. Um, and so I want to touch on that. It's not Sally's opinions, um, her own opinions and her, you know, what she thought were challenged many times while she did her research, I know. and she draws from really the history of humanity and what has sustained humans and really sustained us the best for thousands of years there are obviously many times in history that humans have been starving to death <laughs> or hungry um and she she talks about all of it you know she talks about rabbit starvation and um you know um being fat satisfied and things like that um she talks about when western culture comes into a country and the way it destroys the health of the population and things like that so when i'm saying that she's talking about all these things you might be thinking but you said it's a cookbook what this sounds like a history mm-hmm. book so sally has Um, recipes in here. Of course, there's tons of recipes in this book. And then she has a thick margin on every page with basically what you would call the footnotes, except she put it in the page so you can read it right there. And so for the recipe that you're reading, maybe it's a recipe about oats. Then in the margin, she says, okay, so these are people who you know we're eating oats and this is some historical data on how they prepared it and this is why they did it this way and then here's an anecdote about somebody who was eating it
1: you know it's so fascinating. I have never seen a book like that before or since in my life when I I. first picked it up I was just flabbergasted Mm -hmm. because I always want to know the history and the context around it Mm -hmm. and to see the recipes and then to see the depth of research that is listed on the left and right of the pages I just apart from being in awe of the information that's in it I'm just totally in awe of the research and the work that went into it that one woman who has a family and a life Mm -hmm. it could be such a tour de force to create something so unbelievably informative and groundbreaking and interesting yeah. yeah
0: and and I mean when I got the book I sat down with uh, a highlighter and a pen and a notebook and I just read it I mean you can read this I I, I mean I read every cookbook mm. that I have but you can read this with much enjoyment and um, in a way the <clears throat> I was trying to think how to describe some of the things in the book. And in a way, some of the, the recipes are all drawn from many different cultures. And so one recipe name may go by a variety of names. She may put the name in parentheses, Mm -hmm. or if you're familiar with it, you may have heard it called a different name somewhere else. Um, But these recipes are all things that are so staple to each culture. For some people, it's like if you wrote down a recipe, how to pour cereal and milk, or how to butter your toast, or how to boil water for tea. And a lot of um, my friends who I have friends who come from, you know, cultures that have recipes in these books, and they say, wow, it's like, why would you even write that down? But these are things that we don't know. Um, You know, how Mm. to prepare uji or how to make fermented oatmeal. These are things we don't know. So they're all kind of Every recipe is kind of a paradigm or an idea that you can learn. And a lot of it is things that you would have just learned by seeing. Like um, I have a really good friend who eats very Westney Price. And I remember when I had my baby and I was at her house and she had, I had my first baby at the same time, like a month apart from when she had her last baby. And um, I remember seeing her fry an egg leaving the yolk runny and then feeding the baby just the yolk and i thought wow Mm, but mm. that's in sally's book but that's something that i just learned by seeing right so Mm. there's a lot of things that we should learn by seeing growing up but we don't um and so she's written it down in here and so yeah it's kind of like many lifetimes (laughs) wrapped up in the book
1: When did you get the book and and what did it change for you when you got it oh
0: i actually looked on my old blog to see when i had reviewed it i think i got it in 2012. um that was when i had um i emailed sally and asked her if i could review this book and the baby book and she sent me both of them and so on my old blog I had I can put the I can put the link. It's a terrible old blog. Don't uh, a lot of the recipes are really bad, so, you know. <laughs> but I reviewed some really good books and they shaped a lot of what like they totally changed the way I was eating. And nourishing traditions is one of them. <clears throat> that completely mm. changed the way I was eating. And I should also specify nourishing traditions not to be confused with Nourishing Kitchen, um, which a couple people have asked me if they're the same thing, and they are not. Um, nourishing Kitchen is another wonderful blog and wonderful cookbook that I have, um, but they're not the same thing.
1: Yeah, this is the one by Sally Valon Morel. Sorry,
0: Nourished Kitchen is the title of the other
1: blog okay. book. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so. So, what did it change for you when you got it? <clears throat> Where do I
0: begin? <laughs> Well, I wasn't <laughs> familiar with soaking grains, you know, so we'll just say as a simple thing. Um, I think what it changed for me was, I, I don't, I don't know if this happened to you too, Allison. but can we just say that in my desperation to lose weight and look like, you know, whatever is the ideal at the moment, um, I tried everything, <laughs> And that's not healthy. You know, Mm. the starving. We're probably going to have to have a Mm. podcast sometime, Allison, to talk about our (laughs) disordered eating histories. But, um, you know, I tried starving Mm. myself. I tried like cutting out this, cutting out that, you know, um, doing huge long bouts of intermittent fasting, um, which really for me was just (laughs) excuses to starve myself. Um, And Mm. just not healthy. In terms of my relationship with food. And what Nourishing Traditions mm. awokened in me, awakened, not sure how to say it, was yes. Um what it awakened for me was um just like a hunger to feel nourished and to, you know, when I read the traditions in the book, I thought, I just want to, I want to be that. I want to have that rising on my counter or in, you know, jars on my counter. Mm -hmm. And it was just sort of this um, atmosphere where food was this, you know, friendly, um, like body, fuel you know in such a good way as opposed to like this daily battle and a struggle and something to be avoided and reviled you know and and like the enemy it it made food seem different than that which in our culture it's always like can you resist that is does this make you guilty is this sinful (laughs) you know um and it so I would say in principle that's what it changed for me and of course just the 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 food traditions in there from soaking to
1: fermenting and have just now obviously permeated most of my life um yeah I kind of forget that that I didn't used to do all these things right? you know because i've been doing them so long Same. and they're so part of my life now but it's weird because i think i tried to figure out when i got the book and i think it was either late 2011 or early mm. 2012. So it's kind of a similar time <laughs> that's funny which is strange isn't it and um i came from a, a kind of a different perspective in that at that point i was raw vegan mm. And so was Rob. And we'd both been eating more vegan for two years. Wow. And I'd, I learned a lot from being more vegan. I really Mm. did learn a lot. Um, At that point, I hadn't had a menstrual cycle for five years. And I was aware that I was getting older and aware of a kind of a desire to have the freedom to be able to have a baby if I wanted. Mm. And so I started researching fertility foods and traditional fertility foods. And that kind of led me towards the Western price kind of path. And I had a friend who had the book and said, oh, have you you seen this book? And I was like, no. And I ordered a copy and I just had never seen anything like it in my life. And because I'm a cook and I'm such a passionate creative cook, I just completely fell in love with Mm -hmm. the book and I fell in love with it as a a creative work of art and as well as all the food. And so I remember um, we started doing the fermenting from it first. So I was able to access raw milk locally and I started making some kefir and we started making sauerkraut. And then as I transitioned off raw vegan, which was a challenge. There was a challenge kind of from the ethical point of view and my, right. my views then. Right. There was also a challenge from the fact that because I, was, um, because I was so overweight when I was younger, double the size I am now, right. in fact probably a bit more, I found it really difficult to go back to fat. And I remember, you know, reading about saturated fats. And and that's what I'd cut out of my diet to lose the weight originally. Mm. And so when someone was suggesting to me to start eating fat again, I was just like, "But, but no, I can't go back to that traumatic, horrible place when I was, you know, a teenager and overweight. And so it was a bit of a roller coaster. But I... I took it on my path with me and i slowly started including eggs and then i was able to include some cheese and i after a few meltdowns of actually eating cheese Mm -hmm. because it had so much fat in it and then i started including grains cooked grains because of course we're vegan i wasn't eating any grains and we did the sourdough i learned ferments from it i learned milk souring i learned the grain processing i learned the stock and i just yeah I flew basically from it from that point onwards and then um yeah the end of the story is that I got my cycle back after investigating and changing and incredible some other slight paths that Western Price took me off on measuring my body temperatures and understanding about fat and um yeah and I had I got pregnant with Gabriel which was great but it it was the kind of the beginning of that process and then the opening up of that process and um yeah, the book's been with me ever since really.
0: The such I mean there's so much wrapped up in what you just said, Allison, in your story because mm. <clears throat> the uh, I think I think we need we need to just go ahead and schedule a podcast to talk about this because um it's not just a question of you know, for a lot of people who are coming out of the starvation culture or um like you were saying avoiding fats or not eating grains and stuff mm. it's a huge mental game like the the shift you have to make to be to be thinking okay oh, but I, yeah. I fat is so evil and I can't eat fat and it was um <clears throat> and then you're also referring to the the you know well, is it even ethical for me to eat this when I've been um feeling for so long that it would be unethical for me to eat Um, Mm. animals animal product and it's so funny to hear you you know to think of if Alison the raw vegan could have seen Alison sitting on on the porch chewing on a bone today (laughs) what would she have thought you know
1: Mm. such a huge leap I I I I don't obviously I don't know what she would have thought back then but I I know if she looked at me now she'd see someone who was a lot happier and more content and more in touch with a lot more things than I was in touch with then yes. and part of that comes with just being you know 10 years older but a lot of it comes with taking a journey and embracing it and stepping forward into the unknown even though it's scary mm-hmm. and and changing and and that's what nourishing traditions help me to do really right. and at the end of the day
0: i if uh, if somebody wants to eat raw vegan I have no problem with that. I mean, I I don't care what somebody, I don't care if somebody wants to live on oatmeal for the rest of their life. You know, you do what you want to do, but um, I, I agree with you that what I have found for me, and I feel like I've tried everything. I did paleo, I lived off of Whole30, I tried vegetarian, I tried, you know, serious just standard American diet plus starvation and, (laughs) <laughs> making myself throw up all the time and um there are some things where i felt good initially but um mm. but then as you're saying the sustained you know are you what was i having like i had really hard menstrual cycles for a long time and i really have to say when i look back in time And I've always said it's from about when Jacob was born and now when I think about it that's when I started eating the nourishing traditions way not that I was 100% eating nourishing traditions but you know working into it I I have fantastic cycles now I mean I don't even know when I'm having them anymore Mm -hmm. um, other than the the visual reminder and that's not the way it used to be so you know um, Looking at your, your outputs, I suppose your objective, you know, you said measuring, you were measuring your temperature and um, things like that. Seeing how those signs of health stand up, you know, to the, to the scrutiny is enormously
1: um, informative about the, you know, whatever diet you've chosen. So. Yeah, but Yeah, I mean completely. At the end at the end of eating more vegan I was I was having problems with energy that I just I, I didn't feel like I could power my legs. Wow. And I think at the beginning I did a lot of detox mm-hmm. um, because I I had I'd had twenty twenty odd years of abusing my body yes. and all those years of being overweight, the pressure that was on my <laughs> body. And but then it got to a point where I couldn't I didn't have enough energy to to carry on with my life and I've always thought that you know we we have systems in us to detox but we can't manufacture stuff right you know we can't manufacture no, right. nutrients out of nothing but we have detoxification systems in our bodies that work and okay we can overstress them and the majority of the world do but if you eat in this way then you you have the capability in your body to mm-hmm. detox what needs to be detoxed mm-hmm. and you know doing that period of all vegan did some interesting and and some good things for me at the beginning Um, but then there was a time where I knew I needed to switch and that's where nourishing traditions led me and Mm. what's really interesting is that from that point onwards literally I remember sitting across the table from Rob in our second flat when we moved to Italy the first time and and almost having a meltdown trying to eat a piece of cheese Mm. because I was the, the the psychological damage of being overweight for my childhood was just you know tremendously weighing on me and since that moment I literally have had no problems with my weight at all my mm. cycle returned and now I, I eat I mean I eat tons of things I, I eat grains I eat fat I eat everything that I would love to eat and I've never had a problem with weight since then at all. I don't own any scales. I've not had to think about my weight. And I spent so long, even after I lost the weight originally, age 20, worrying about, oh, I'm putting a bit on, I've got to cut back on this, got to cut back on that, got to cut back on this. And obviously, I've changed. I mean, I don't, I don't eat sugar. I don't right. really eat many sweet things at all, um, right. which I did initially after I lost the weight but my whole diet's shifted to this place where it's, you know, the soaking of the grains, the mm-hmm. meat, the fat—it all comes together to to satiate me, but also to just provide for my body and and give me a stable weight, so I don't even have to think about it. Which is which has been—I I didn't expect it, you know. When I when I turned to it, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to put on all this weight, and and it just—that's not the case at all.
0: Well, it's kind of the, the standard of, if you really think about it, there's all these different diets, keto, carb restriction, you know, paleo, carnivore. There's just so many different ones right now. And the standard of if a diet is healthy really is, does it make you skinny? Are you skinny? And That's not even, that's like, you know, ideal body fat, which is better to look at than are you skinny? Because skinny can be enormously unhealthy. Um, Mm. That's just one measure of if your body's healthy. There's so many other things to look at, you know, And, and you've mentioned some of them. Do you have energy? Are you having meltdowns trying to eat food, you know, is your brain starved of what it needs to operate? Can you think, do you have brain fog? You know, is your as your temps up or are you always running low and cold and um, and there's just so much to look at. So and and I think that um, the nourishing
1: traditions has just been really healing for my personal relationship with food. And yeah, healing. Yeah. That's a great word because I mean she doesn't say that in the title no. or in this in the little the sub thing, but it's it's a healing book. Yeah, if you take it to heart, it's a healing book. And probably anybody who li- <laughs> lived through the '90s um,
0: has to face some of the um, uh, the bias against fat. Um, and, and just the, I don't know, I guess if you lived through the 2000s, the bias against grains. <laughs> mm, so mm. yeah, Sally's book's pretty, <clears throat> pretty offensive because she'll, she uses words like tallow and lard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so, so Sally is not she, she does provide lots of historical and anecdotal and scientific data. She has tons of footnotes and, um, things to support the ancestral diet theories. She doesn't prescribe diets like in the terms of "here's what you should eat every day." She just says, "Hey, you know what? People throughout history have pretty much always had something fermented at every meal, or you know." And so then you can draw your own conclusions. Um, she's not going to tell mm-hmm. you to eat tons and tons of raw leafy greens. She's not going to tell you to run screaming from fats or never eat grains. And she even this is probably the thing that shocked me the most when I opened the book was she had things like rapadura, which is the or, which is like a brand name for um like you know sugar that still has some of the minerals and things in it um mm-hmm. also called sucanut i was so shocked to see that in there i was like what this is anathema how can, how can she have sugar in a book that's supposed to be healthy um but she provides her um you know, her sources and not everybody like you, you can't even, you can't even eat that. And like you've said before, you, you, you think that, you know, possibly you just did so much damage to your body eating too much yeah. of that for so long. And there are people who won't yeah. be able to eat some of the things in the book because it's just something you're allergic to. And, and maybe as you also said down the road, healing will eventually happen, but you just yeah. need to put the book. Up to wh- where you are in your healing journey, and take your time with it. And if you're only comfortable with you know making a few things out of it at a time, just start with that and work your way through. So, um, let's go a little Tell bit. Tell us what's in it. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. go over a little bit of the content of the book. Um, so, <clears throat> she starts out with an introduction that basically has workshops in it. I don't know what else to call it. Essays, <laughs> workshops. Passionate appeals. <laughs> um, so yeah. she covers allergies, politically correct nutrition. And you might be thinking, what do you mean politically correct nutrition? Well, just remember that a lot of nutrition and dietetic guidelines come from the government. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and then just draw your own conclusions from there. Um, she talks about ingredients and quality of ingredients, because I will say lard from a pasture raised pig that lived out on grass under the sun is totally different than lard from a pig that lived in you know a covered barn with a billion other pigs and just ate soy right two different products Mm -hmm. so she does talk about the quality um then she has a section called basics so she Mm -hmm. covers basics are things that we should already know it's things that we should have grown up doing or seeing done all the time that it's like fermentation yeah i shouldn't even need to say this but here it is yeah dairy how to do some basic ferments with dairy the um, fermenting some veggies and fruits sprouting grains nuts and seeds doing the stock sauces salad dressings and marinades then she has recipes and these are just divided by your standard Chapters, so um, let me flip back to the table of contents and I can tell you exactly what a couple of them are she has um, Okay, so you know beginnings like hors d'oeuvres She has main courses divided by the meat type so fish organ meats, you know beef Um, there's vegetables and then uh, luncheon and supper foods grains and legumes snacks and finger foods and desserts. Um and <laughs> my favorite is beverages chapter. <laughs> mm-hmm. She has tons of ideas for starting your own mixologies in there. Um just every recipe in there, like I said before, every recipe in this book is basically an idea and you'll probably say the same Allison. Very rarely have I stuck to exactly how a recipe is
1: in this book. Oh yeah. Very rarely. Completely. I I I was looking at some of the recipes before we recorded and thinking that, oh, I do that recipe. And then I went back and looked at the recipe and realized, oh, I've changed that several hundred times since I started it. And now it kind of doesn't really look like it was supposed to. (laughs) I know I
0: did the same thing. I thought, well, I made that. And then I looked at it and I thought, well, that's not how I do it at all anymore. But um, she gives you the principle. You understand the history and the science and then you just spin off with what you have around you. What's local? And um, because the book is an education, not a prescription, then you're able to do that. You have the freedom to do that.
1: Um, I'm just flicking through the beverage section (sighs) now. You've got me excited.
0: (laughs) The beverage beverage section is kind of addicting. And if you ever looked in your fridge and thought, what do I do with all this whey? (laughs) Go to the beverage section and you'll be like, I don't have enough whey. Then she also has baby and medicinal tips, and there is an entire baby book. And then she has an appendices with um, some resources ideas, kitchen management ideas, and a really good index that um, you can pull, you know, you can find whatever you need through there. Um, Wow. There's, there's so much in there and, and I thought to myself oh I've made tons of the recipes out of this book and so I actually went through and made a list of all mm. the recipes I've made and I thought well that's not as many as I thought but it feels like a lot because like you say you've made it one time and then you've made a hundred versions yeah. of it so you feel like you've done it. So bunch. Tell,
1: tell us some of your favourite recipes then that you've, you've made a lot out of it. Oh gosh,
0: oh gosh okay well everything in the dairy section. Has been so helpful. Okay. We've used that all. You know, it, it really gives you a great foundation for. Um, I, uh, mm. bleh, how do I say all the things at once? <laughs> Only one sentence at a time. Um, <laughs> if you if you want to eat ancestral and you're thinking, okay, what are the books? I need a book on dairy. I need a book on grains. You know, I really would suggest just get this book because I have since now gotten other books on dairy where I've tried other more exploratory cheeses and things like that. But everything came from the foundation that I got out of this one book. I'm yeah. It's such a budget thing to do, get one book instead of 30. And it's not the way a lot of these uh, modern cookbooks are with, you know, every you know your biscuits have 42 pages of instructions with glossy photos showing you step by step i mean it's really a lot simpler than that but um but so so good so in the dairy section there's a cultured milk smoothie i that Mm, is my absolute favorite smoothie in the world and i am so glad that i found this book right after i had jacob because that was i probably drank that every day for a year postpartum and thinking about it now i'm like wow that was probably really good for me um because it has a lot of things in it that i Had actually, um, God forgive me, starved myself from even during pregnancy. Mm, Very unhealthy, trying to stay under a certain weight, really paranoid about, you know, gaining too much weight during pregnancy. Horrible, just absorbing the culture, you know, and abusing Mm. my body in that sense. But then um, stumbling onto this and just finding it irresistible. So um, I will say the ingredients in here, real quick, which is um, buttermilk or kefir or yogurt. So any fermented milk. Um, banana or berries, mm. coconut oil, egg yolks, maple syrup mm. or stevia, um, vanilla and nutmeg, and that—that oh, that is such a good. And it's not like a big ice. It's actually kind of almost a little bit warm <laughs> when I make it because I usually have to heat the mm-hmm. coconut oil. Um, but yeah, it's so of course. Good. Yeah. And and right underneath it is the raw milk warmer. Oh my word! Oh my word! It's so good. <laughs> That's ridiculously good. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you, um, I have lots of other favorites, but um, do you have any favorites out of the book that you want to tell us, Allison?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I went back through it and put kind of, post-it notes in all the recipes mm. that i've made and i don't know if you can hear the noise of all the post-it notes look <laughs> so um <laughs> i um the, the ginger carrots in mm. the ferments are my favorite fermenting those recipe those are so good the cream cheese mm. i i really like the cream cheese and that's where i kind of like you said i learned my dairy fermentation from there initially right. the um beak vas i've made a ton of times and I really love beakers and that I originally made, I remember a long, long time ago, right. from this book. The um there's a recipe for a spice bread made with rye on page four nine one. Which I'm that's the thing I'm gonna be making on the Zoom next week because I started making that probably about three years ago when I started making sourdough. And that's the one I went back to. And I was like, oh, I don't wow. even make it like that I anymore. I have never made Because that. I've made it so many times and I've made it my own. Well, there you go. I'll be cooking it in the Zoom next week. So Perfect. You'll, you'll be seeing <laughs> so intimately be how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous thing. Also, there's a recipe for kasha, which oh. I wrote down. is on page 464. Oh, four. Right. And kasha's with buckwheat which is a, a, an overlooked grain by many people and it's a fabulous recipe with with eggs in it and stock mm. it's really easy and it's so so good. Now I'm really glad and you then, said that because yeah, that yeah.
0: that was one when I, I went through and I do this periodically I'll go through and mark a bunch of recipes that I want to make and then I write them down on a paper oh, so I can make the them. Kasher. And I wrote that one. Mm. So I'm really glad you said that that you love that. It's one.
1: it's really good. That's that's one of the recipes that I think if you haven't gone into nourishing traditions or you want something to start with, right. do the cashew. Okay. Because literally, you've, you've got to have some stock, you've got to have some buckwheat, uh-huh. and then it's nice with eggs in as well. So if okay. you've got stock and eggs and you go out and buy a packet of buckwheat, you can make it.
0: And it goes
1: so well. You can throw leftover chicken in it. You can put cheese on it. You can serve it on the side with with some other form of meat or offal. You can have it cold. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful dish. And then um, the other one that I wanted to talk about is the dosas. I I think they're called dosas and they might be called Indian style pancakes, perhaps. Uh Um, But they're fermented lentils and rice that are fermented for, well, I think I do it for four or five days because I'm I'm an extreme fermenter. (laughs) And um, then they, if you cook them in ghee on cast iron, you use a lot of fat and they are absolutely gorgeous. And I have Mm. cooked them for guests more than, yeah, many times and had kind of dips, yogurt dip to go with it and other dips that I've made with coriander. And they are absolutely wonderful. I will have They're to a bit more that. complicated than the kasha.
0: Well, I haven't made so, those either. Um, that's
1: kind of an intermediate recipe. They're very, very good. Just shows you, there's so many recipes in there that you could get yeah. like 20 ancestral cooks together and, and they'd mm-hmm. be telling each other recipes that, oh, I didn't know about that because no, there's true. just hundreds of recipes in there.
0: So true. Um, there's a lot of really basic things in there too that, um, you know, mayonnaise, mustard, salsa yeah that once you kind of got the idea of it then you make just bazillions of variations based on what you have on hand um and those have all i i thought oh of course i've made the mayonnaise and then i i saw again mine has changed so many times but those (laughs) are really good staples to go with everything else um those those dosas sound amazing and the kasha Oh, just reading are. about it sound
1: it just sound, sounded like an ultimate comfort food so I wanted to make it so yeah it, it is a, really a comfort food I oh think that's
0: they're, I like they're gingerbread she has gingerbread on page 547 Ooh. oh I haven't done that it's ridiculously good I don't know if you can do that one because it's sweet um not I can give it to the boys yeah not horrifically sweet um I made a note in when I made it to make sure that you don't over bake it it gets dry very quickly Mm. so if you um almost under bake it by just a few minutes and then it's this perfect dense moist and it has the you know shredded ginger in it so you feel like there's just these bursts of ginger as you go through it oh it's so Uh, good that's nice it's really good and it's a really good i made um simple uh, well i was just gonna say it's really good introduction to soaking grains because again once you've made it Uh, you know how to soak grains for any and you
1: can just take any recipe and do the same thing I um, I was going to say about the awful chapter mm. the awful chapters not got all the awful in it no. but it's the one that I turned to for instance I got some brains a couple of months ago and I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. and of course I got this book down and there's a big section on preparation of brains uh, there's a big section on liver and there's some yes. recipes for kidney as well yeah. so um that I like because I mean we're serious offal fans here and there's some really good recipes in there for offal. the other one that i wanted to to talk about is on page i just found it on page 459 there's an african millet porridge which i think you mentioned earlier oh, on I, did. I don't know how to pronounce the it ouji. it's how did you pronounce well, it? well uji. that's I, how it I was, was it pronounced to one. me
0: by friends who said oh you have a baby well we have to make some uji and i was like wait a minute i think i just read about that
1: in my book okay I remember when I got this book and I was flicking through it and the first sentence in the instructions for that recipe is this is a recipe for the brave, the adventurous and the curious. And I thought, I have to make this. This is my recipe. And that's a really good one as well.
0: I really can't say that um, because I wrote down all the ones I had made and, and looking back over it, I really can't say that there's any I didn't like.
1: Yeah, no, I think I probably agree. And with I think it.
0: also a part oh, of that comes down to if you're using real ingredients, really good ones, it's really hard to screw it up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even if you make mayonnaise and it flops, you know, it breaks or something, um, then you have a really nice salad dressing. <laughs> and it tastes yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, so there's a few quotes yeah. that I wanted to read from her book to give everybody a feel oh, yes, for please. what and I know you said when I said, "Allison, I want to read some of the um, footnotes." You said, "How I can't even—I don't even know where to begin." Where'd you stop? Um, yeah. So I could have just let the book fall open anywhere and, and read it, but um, I thought there were a few that might give a really good um, sampling of what the book offers in the sidebar. So in the culture mm, dairy section, here's what there's here's a little extract about way, and I I know you and I both, Allison. You told me you did it. I thought that's so funny because it's the exact same thing I did. As soon as I started reading this book, I started writing down all these books from the footnotes and I thought, oh, I have to find this yeah. book. Good luck. <laughs> you know, $500 yeah.
1: for a copy of this, you know, out of, all out of print. Oh, and yeah. it's all
0: in French, you know, <laughs> there's not even an English translation. <laughs>
1: Yeah if there was one in Italian I might have a standard chance of reading it but not in French. So some of the books are hard to find but some um,
0: I do still I do still look for. But anyways um, so she says here in the sidebar this is an excerpt from Hannah Kroger's Ageless Remedies from Mother's Kitchen. I mean how good does that book sound? I mean don't Mm. you just want to read it? She says Whey is such a good helper in your kitchen it has a lot of minerals. One tablespoon of whey in a little water will help digestion. What? Like, what? It is a remedy that will keep your muscles young. It will keep your joints movable and ligaments elastic. When age wants to bend your back, take whey. With stomach ailments, take one tablespoon whey three times daily. This will feed the stomach glands and they will work well again.
1: Wow. I want that book like seriously I'm going back to check that it's not still yeah. 500 pounds. Can you, can
0: you tell me what you find because <laughs> I want that one too <laughs> um, and and that makes me think okay um, yesterday was memorial day here in the states and so Gary went and, and memorial day is the a day of observance where we remember and um, you know we go and tend to the graves of our, our military dead and um, my husband always participates in what's called the Murph, which is this CrossFit workout. I don't really remember exactly what it is, but it's like 100 pull-ups and 300 squats and I don't know, run two miles and (laughs) tons of (laughs) push-ups. All the CrossFitters are listening like you got that wrong. But anyways, it's really big. So he was saying this morning how his lats were sore. And so I'm thinking Mm. now I just go give him some shots of whey. Give him some whey. Yeah. Okay. Here's another sample from the sidebar. She has here and there little menus. So if I love the little menus because they're so inspiring to me. And this is one that I love because it sounds like exactly what I love to eat. So she has a peasant lunch, sourdough bread with cultured butter, Mm. raw Mm. cheddar cheese, pickled herring, Mm. pickled garlic, pickled cucumbers, and kvass. And that sounds like the perfect lunch to me. Um, And on, Mm -hmm. I should be saying the page numbers. That was on page 97. But I'm jumping to page 448 because there's a passage here that goes with that peasant lunch that I just read Um, Mm -hmm. in my mind. So she says, it seems that this is an excerpt from a book that I tried to find, but is only in French and is extremely expensive by Claude Aubert. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Uh, But...
1: I remember looking for that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think it's funny that we were each looking for the same books. Les Aliments Fermentés <laughs> I don't know how to read it. Anyways, so it says, it seems that our contemporaries have little time to prepare nice meals. Frozen foods, canned foods, fast foods have invaded our supermarkets and our restaurants. We misunderstand our ancestors when we think that they could spend hours and hours preparing their meals. The old cookbooks may give this impression, but these books were for the upper classes that could afford to hire cooks. Among the peasants, the women worked in the fields and there remained little time in the evenings to prepare dinner. At noon, the men often ate in the fields. For lunch, they needed foods that were easily prepared. They needed fast food. And for dinner, they ate one course meals, invariably something simple. Many fermented foods can be eaten without any preparation. Bread, cheese, sausage, lacto-fermented vegetables, olives, anchovies, fish and soy sauces, and many others. After all, we didn't have to wait for the Americans to invent the cheese sandwich. A fermented fast food that is delicious as well as nutritious as long as the bread and the cheese are of good quality increasingly rare these days because the fermentation process has been industrialized and therefore denatured. The Russians also invented fast food long before the Americans. When Turgenov's hunter arrives without warning at the peasant's cottage he is invariable, invariably offered rye bread, cheese, pickled cucumbers and kvass, three mm. fermented foods and one fermented drink always ready to be served to the passing guest
1: that's amazing it just makes you think about the kind of cheese sandwich and a drink right the difference between a kind of fluffy white bread sandwich with you know elastic cheese in <laughs> and a cola compared elastic. to a sourdough bread with a with raw cheese and butter a bit of sauerkraut in it and some some kvass or some other kind of fermented right. drink It just they are they are to say they're not the same food mm. is just yeah. yeah, it's, it's insufficient to say the least. Of an yeah,
0: <laughs> well, we all know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we all know how Alison feels about the fluffy bread <laughs> yeah. and elastic yeah. cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there were there th- that's just an example of her footnotes. There's so many other ones, and there there was one really good one that just felt so um enriching. That I had to read it to because I, I don't know if this ever happens to you, Allison. I'm sure it doesn't because, mm. to my mind, you're the perfect human. But sometimes mm. I'm just mm. like, sometimes I just think, ah, oh, I'm just so tired of you know doing this this boring thing. What am I even doing, you know? Um, and so hearing something like this just revives my joy and reminds me of what mm-hmm. I'm doing because maybe it's because. Um, Well, when I'm around people like you, I never feel disgruntled about the things that I have to do at home. But sometimes Mm. I feel like the the culture can just get into my brain, which is just, what's the point? And oh, this is boring. And oh, I hate my life at home, you know? So Mm. I never feel that way. But when that's all what you hear all around you, it starts to um, just trickle over a little bit. So. This just uplifted me so much, and this is on page 401, I'm actually in the section about vegetables. She said, um, this is a quote from Maha Chohan, I'm not sure how to say it. Um, If a woman could see the sparks of light going forth from her fingertips when she Mm. is cooking and the substance of light that goes into the food she handles, she would be amazed to see how much of herself she charges into the meals that she prepares
1: for her family and friends. Wow. That is beautiful. Mm. I just turned to page 401 just as you started reading and that sparks of light going forth from her fingertips when she is cooking. That's magic.
0: I just love, I I think that we Mm. could talk about, you know, vitamins and minerals and all that's important and has a place, but but, um, things like this, is really what just lights me up for why I do what I do.
1: Yeah, it's feeding the soul, not just feeding the body. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And to think so.
0: To think that, in this book, there's um, six hundred pages with those footnotes, every single one yeah. as good as the last.
1: Mm. Yeah, the 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 depth of work that went into this, I it's yeah, it's a some masterpiece. It really is. It is, and there's still some recipes in it that I want to cook that I haven't done. I was flicking through, mm. and there's a miso porridge that um, involves cooking the porridge first, and then putting miso in it afterwards, and leaving it out to ferment when it's cooked, mm. which. I've wanted to do for a while and i haven't it's really funny that you um, said that
0: because when i saw the miso porridge
1: i mm, thought of course i'm sure allison has made that
0: because i know she loves no no, no i haven't
1: <laughs> i haven't one day i'll make my own miso and i'll uh, do it myself with my own miso can't wait and there's also um an oxtail soup an oxtail barley mm. soup in there and mm. i use barley a fair bit in slow cooker soups yeah. kind of in the winter but i've never cooked oxtail mm. And that kind, of, I read that, and I thought, oh, well, when it gets a bit colder again, maybe I'll um, I'll get some oxtail and try that recipe.
0: Yeah. I, Is there I anything definitely. that's kind
1: of on your big list of what you want to do? Oh, dear.
0: Well, um, what I what I do with my cookbooks, and i I've, I've I've collected tons of cookbooks. I love cookbooks, and I'll sit down with a book and I'll work my way through it, and then I'll mark a bunch. You know, I'll either use the sticky notes like you say, or I'll use a piece of paper to write down just ones I want to try. And then I kind of just work my way through the list as I have the ingredients. And so I do that for this one and I've done it (laughs) so many times, but um, I also always keep coming back to so many staples in the book, you know, basic beans, refried beans, pancakes, Mm -hmm. you know, mayonnaise, Mm -hmm. butter, you know, you'll end up making the same recipes so many times, but I really want to try her macaroons that sounds amazing
1: okay um
0: I've not made Mm. many of her desserts so there's a lot that I want to try but you can only try so many desserts in such a span of time yeah Yeah. um so I had made her spice cake a couple days ago Mm -hmm. oh my word oh my word it was delicious I didn't make the topping that she has we just had it without any topping Mm -hmm. but it was so good um Mm-hmm. I would like to try her um, sauerkraut and bean soup. Um, the lamb and cracked wheat appetizer looked really good. Um, okay, I don't know if you've done that one, but um, a friend of mine just butchered some lambs for us. So I just gotta go pick him up. but um, it's a it's a it has um lamb. Like ground lamb and bulgur and onion and spices and things like that and mm. it just sounds amazing and they serve it with um, pita. Mm. I don't know. It just sounds delicious. <laughs>
1: and her so what recipe are you going to be cooking up on the zoom class next week you decided yet i have vacillated
0: back and forth so many
1: times Um, (laughs) as soon as
0: exciting as soon as i think i decided then then i don't know um maybe i'll do this lamb and cracked wheat appetizer if i have Mm. if i get to I know we're making favourites so that might seem strange but um, if I have a chance to make it a few times between now and then yeah, yeah, um, I might do that one because I was trying to think of something that would go with what you were making and I feel like this would yeah, pair really yeah. well. Alternately. Mm,
1: okay well I'm excited to see what you come up with
0: <laughs> I might also um, get the things out to demonstrate how to do the fermented oatmeal because I would say that's what I get more questions about than anything which is how do you I know you talked about fermented oatmeal how do you do that and it just takes I get
1: a lot of questions about fermented oatmeal as well yeah
0: I mean it's 30 seconds to make it so why not just demonstrate it really fast and just have it out of the way that might be a good one to show as well but not really like worth doing an entire yeah demonstration on so I don't know or maybe i'll do a dessert <laughs> it's really hard to Exciting. choose i know i know i need to um we're gonna have course. to do more
1: than one and then and no, then right. we won't have to choose. that makes me
0: feel better if we do more than one
1: so we're coming up to an hour um oh boy what is there anything else you want to talk about regarding the book and <laughs> obviously there is but
0: <laughs> well I, I would say how on
1: earth do we finish talking about the book <laughs>
0: Um, I would say with the book, the recipes in her book tend to work well in a routine because a lot of things you say, Oh, I want to make mm. gingerbread tonight. You open it up and she says, Soak this for 24 uh, hours. Yeah. And go, oh, wait, what? <laughs> so a lot of her recipes work well if you can get into a r- rhythm. Some of them can be just made point blank, you know, on the, on the spot, but some of them require time or um, if you've already got the mayo in your fridge that you've already made and fermented then you can very easily whip up you know her chicken salad recipe you know what i mean so so it, it helps to get into a rhythm and once you've you know incorporated having homemade mayonnaise in your everyday life then you incorporate the next thing you know and and some yeah, things. I think it
1: could be quite overwhelming if mm-hmm. you get the book at the beginning and oh, you don't know how yeah. to do any of it or you're not sure so I would say you know it's a book for a lifetime yeah. and if you you've got it then and you're you know living your life and getting on with and not having enough time to spend 24 hours a day in the kitchen then just pick two or yeah. three things and make that your project for the next month mm-hmm. and then slowly those things will accrue and like you said then you're might have mayonnaise in your fridge ready to make something else it's um it's it's a book I can imagine could easily overwhelm people and yeah just just know that it's been on my shelf for for 10 years and it will be on my shelf hopefully for another (laughs) 10 20 30 years and and even then I probably won't have made everything in it
0: I think it's the kind of thing that is overwhelming if you try to take it in all at once, like drinking from a fire hose, but you know, you the, the old saying, how does an ant eat a buffalo one bite at a time?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, that, that works here if you just chip away a little bit at a time and um, make sure you read through the recipe all the way before you plan to make it because it <laughs> might say just casually halfway through and then let it sit for three weeks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're like wait a Whoops. minute. <laughs> but yeah it's definitely I highly
1: recommend it can't recommend it enough. Um, it's been a great education. And it's, it's not the only book that this amazing woman has written is it?
0: That's the staggering thing is it's not. Um, she's written a number of books a few of which I have right here one is, one is called Nourishing Fats. This is a wonderful book. Um, with mm, It's just all good. about fats. And it's if you like the footnotes or Sally's little essays, just imagine that you can get a book that is 200 pages of her talking about fat and recipes with more organ meat recipes and, and more recipes incorporating oh, fat, okay. cod liver oil shooter. Um, she has a drink that she calls better than coffee. Um, which has ginger in it, Allison. It's molasses, cream, Mm. ginger, Mm. and licorice root, so it sounds amazing. Um, She has her cultured milk smoothie. Um, There's just lots of really good ones in there. She has Mm -hmm. the nourishing broth, which she just has a very small section on broth in the book, but this is, again, 300 pages of her talking about broth. And um, if you just want to go more into... Um, broth, or if you honestly are trying to deal with some health issues, you know this book has lots of chapters on how different health issues can be supported with um, drinking broth. And this okay. this is the book that totally sold me on broth being the number one sports recovery drink in the world. I mean, I mm. I can't even compare protein powders or you know a lot of the um, shakes you see on the market in terms of recovery they just broth as simple as it is really is king um she also has the Mm -hmm. nourishing traditions book of baby and child care which is Mm -hmm. um it's not just about food (laughs) it's a lot there's a lot in this book and um she dedicated it to tomorrow's children which i thought was so sweet um, she talks about um, uh, pregnancy and birth. She talks about uh, children's you know childhood illnesses and um, you know foods for babies and toddlers. She even talks about gaps in here. She has the section on recipes and uh, I think this, topic is one Alison that you and I in discussing are going to have to end up doing um, a discussion on when we talk about children and babies. Mm.
1: I think so. I think I remember um, making things for that book from Gabriel. I remember Mm. there being a custard recipe in there and a sweet potato recipe, but also the baby formula in there we made for Gabriel. And that is a huge long story about how Mm. it came about. and. Um, the making of it and doing that every day in my kitchen for months and months. And then, unfortunately, there was a bit of a kind of um, throwback from it in that um, Rob and I kind of um, upset some medical authorities by doing it. And so you're right when you say, I think we need another episode <laughs> to talk about that wonderful book and the the wonderful recipes in it and that formula as well, which has been very instrumental in in my early parenthood, my early motherhood and Gabriel's life as well. So yeah, another episode. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: when you told me about your story, just in the little snippet you told me, I just had, you know, chills (laughs) all over my body and I could feel like tears in my eyes. And I just thought, oh no, this is something so many moms need to hear discussed. Um, It would be healing
1: for a lot of moms to hear.
0: Yeah. And how many... I think
1: we'll um, schedule that in.
0: Yeah. How many kids cookbooks have you picked up that have recipe for calf's liver <laughs> and lacto fermented ginger ale. <laughs> yeah, not many. <laughs> um, and their meatloaf which is just brilliant where she uses an organ meat mixture and all kinds of delicious fermented you know bread and sour cream and things to make a little meatloaf for baby. I mean brilliant just brilliant mm. things so that's another great one and then she's also written um, a number of other books. Her um, her book, The Nourishing Diets, I actually don't own but I am really anxious to own that book. I've checked it out from the library a few times and I feel like my mm. jaw was just sagging the whole time I read it because um, there, I feel like there's a lot in the media right now and she talks about a lot of this in the book where, you know, aspects of indigenous culture and history have just been erased or hidden um, mm. um not forgotten but actively suppressed and she hmm. talks about a lot of that in the Nourishing Diets book that's where I heard a lot of these things in the very oh, beginning okay. about you know um society or cultures in um, Australia that were actually tending grain that we tend to think of as oh they're they're the paleo ancestors but they were actually tending grain just in a nomadic way um, or um, ancestors here in North America who were cultivating herds of buffalo <laughs> I mean just utterly mind boggling. Um, Mm. and then and she also has a couple other books she has a nourishing traditions cookbook for children um, and she's co-authored a bunch of other books all on topics related to this and you'll probably see her pop up in all kinds of documentaries and things like that so
1: yeah an amazing woman she and is an amazing a book. lively lady <laughs> it's been a joy to talk about mm. it and I'm sure it'll be a joy to do our first zoom cook up live cook up next week i'm really it will. looking forward to i can't it. wait thank you very much andrea and um if you're listening and you like what you hear um let us know contact us on instagram and you can go to patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast if you want to support the work that we're doing in that way um and if you do then i look forward to seeing you um next friday on our Zoom. i can't wait and is there anything else you want to add before we finish? No, that's everything. Andrea? I I mean, we yeah. have another podcast to talk about more, so
0: <laughs> we'll save it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, we certainly will. And we, we may well come back to this book as well because mm. there's just so much more to share. Yeah, there is. Okay. Well, thanks so Thank much, Alison. Thank you very Allison. much. We'll speak next you time. You bet. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth, and Allison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the
1: kitchen.